welcome to the Mind Behind Leadership live on talkradio.nyc with me, Graham Dobbin. Um, every week we've got guests from a broad range of disciplines. We explore what we explore what makes a good leader, how do we build businesses, how the teams, and how they're influencers. Leaders are all around us. We just got to be aware of that and they impact our lives, sometimes positively, sometimes not so. And it looks more so than ever that everybody seems to have an opinion about leadership, whether it's in politics or business or in history. Um, so these influencers are in our personal as well as our business lives. And tonight, we're really lucky to have a guest on who is working with leadership teams in lots of different fields and brings a ton of experience with it. Um, our guest this evening is a guy called Mark Corona. Now, Mark is a partner and CMO of Chief Outsiders, and he's also the author of five ebooks focusing on business growth engines, value propositions, digital transformation, and building an intelligent sales pipeline. And having run sales teams, there is rarely an intelligent sales pipeline that I've ever seen. <laughs> so we'll talk to him about that. Uh, Mark is also the host of his own radio show. He didn't tell me that. We've got competition. And it's a podcast called The Practical CMO. He employs his entrepreneurial spirit and executive experience to work with leadership teams in marketing, business development, sales, product management, operations, and technology. Mark, good evening and welcome to the Mind Behind Leadership. Hey, thanks, Graham. Glad to join you this afternoon. Um, Mark, I don't... We're going to get right in. We're going to. We want to talk about you. We want to learn about you, your experiences, and what happens. But we always kind of start off with something that's been in the news. And on Monday night, I heard something. I had an unusual sound in New York City, and I didn't realize about six o'clock. It was a collective gasp when Google announced <laughs> that they were closing their offices until July next year. And I could just hear that sharp intake of breath. I mean, right away, I thought, you know, how is this going to impact everybody? What, what bad is this set? What's your take on that? Um, you know, I'm not too surprised. Um, I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of companies have already said they were going to um, maintain their current working relationships through the end of this year. Um, and, you know, they might come back in January. I think the, uh, the July probably took a lot of people by surprise, right? Um, but I, I think just beyond the sort of interim, how is this going to work for the next 12 months? I think this also sets up some fairly permanent changes in how workforces are managed and built, and uh, and, and you know, and how they how they can work together. Because I, I think for a large in a large part, the um, the willingness and ability of companies to kind of come back together in large groups is going to be that appetite is going to change. I think on an ongoing basis, Graham. It's interesting. My first reaction was a year. Really, we've got this now for another year, and this is this is how other people are going to follow. Because Twitter, I think, have already said you can work at home forever. And we had Yahoo a number of years ago who said you could work at home, and Marissa Meyer famously um, right. kind of withdrew all that and said, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. But th th there was another part of me thought that's a relief. We now know what we're working with. The uncertainty is kind of gone. So we can plan. You know, I, I think I had a um, I had a lunch meeting today with a CEO of a business that I helped through some horizon growth planning. And, you know, we were talking about how uh, the, the impact of uncertainty in any business. Right. I mean, everybody wants to have a plan that they have high confidence in, that they they built uh, in a way that manages risk. And um Gosh, you know, whether it's something like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go on vacation this fall or, uh, or, you know, or even next spring. I think that one of the things that's really a sort of a drag on people right now is just not knowing. Um, you know, today in, uh, in the upper Midwest of Wisconsin, Minnesota, a lot of the governors were sort of announcing their plans for the upcoming school year, right? And, you know, I think whether you like the model that they selected to a lot of people, I think it's just a relief that they finally picked something, right? Pick the model so people can start yeah. to build a, a plan around that. I completely agree. The, the, the number of people that I know have been holding off and saying maybe August, maybe September, maybe October. But it almost feels like the relief of let's just get a line in the sand. We know what's going to happen. If we can improve on it, great. But let's 
that that's where we're going. So now we can plan accordingly for 12 months because 12 months is a long time. And I mean, some of the discussions I've been having this week is the teams that left the offices in March are not the teams that are, that are sitting there now or the teams that will come back in, even if it's the same personnel. You know, oh, right. psych- emotionally, psychologically, there's a whole lot of different things have gone on. And you know, I'm working really closely with a number of companies now just on how do you manage what's happening now and then the transition back. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think one of the, one of the impacts we're going to see is uh, that I, I think there's going to be more flexible staffing of the workforce. You know, probably fewer employees and more contractors, just so uh, businesses can can retain some flexibility. You know, staff up, staff down. If their plans change, they might need different kinds of expertise. You know, I, I have a feeling one of the more structural changes that will come out of this virus. And thank thank you for not uh, beating on the coronavirus. I get enough of that joke all the way back to from uh, January. I decided not to. Thank you. <laughs> So I like to call it COVID, and I'm so happy that the media sort of started calling it COVID more often, right? I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with the beer either, right? But um, but uh, uh, but I, I think there's going to be sort of a, a, a rethink about staffing models and organizational yeah. approaches, right? And I, and I think a lot more of... Um, Sort of uh, fractional uh, fractional executives, contract employees. I, I think that's going to be a lot more uh, common and accepted in the workplace going forward. As companies say, "Well, I'm not sure," you know, particularly in manufacturing, um, I'm not sure exactly what kind of demand I'm going to see. I can't hire everybody back right now, uh, and I'm not sure when I'm going to hire them back. And so um, a more flexible staffing model, I think, is in a lot of companies' futures. Well, I mean, you know, there, there's been, especially in Europe, there are a lot of different um, um, staffing models that are out there with people working three-day weeks, four-day weeks, you know, three-day weekends. Um, it may just give us the opportunity to kind of cut through that. One of the, I, I was speaking with uh, someone in, in New York the other night and said, what will happen when the bars all reopen and, you know, we, we, we can go out till two or three in the morning? And this was a bad owner. And he actually said, I don't know if people will want that anymore. They're used to, you know, we're beginning to, to, to retrain ourselves. You used a word there right in the middle. You used a word called fractional. And you call yourself a fractional CMO. Right. Just, can you just explain, expand on what do we mean by fractional? Well, you know, I'm, I, when, I, when I first heard the word, I didn't understand it either. And uh, even though I've been you know, a partner in Chief Outsiders for three and a half years. I'm not sure it's a word that many people in the marketplace understand or that one that, you know, sort of I'm really comfortable with. But but a fractional CMO, and there are fractional chief market, uh, chief uh, financial officers, there are fractional sales executives, is basically um, an executive whose expertise you can hire for some limited period of time, right? And you decide on what the need is and how long you want them there. And I'll, I'll just give you an example of how it works. So for the last uh, five or six years, I've been a fractional chief marketing officer for uh, a manufacturing company in the Twin Cities. And um, I'm, I'm basically a one day a week chief marketing officer, right? They don't need a chief marketing officer full time. They couldn't afford one full time. Um, and uh, the CEO will tell you, well, you know, what what I pay you, I could I, I could afford to hire probably a mid level marketing manager, but I wouldn't get the expertise, I wouldn't get the strategy, I wouldn't get the best practices that you can bring as a fractional CMO. Now, you know, that's a company. I actually run that marketing group. I am the only marketing person in that business. Everything else is outsourced. I have a digital agency that manages our website and our digital campaigns. I have an account-based marketing service provider that does all of our outbound lead uh, prospecting and and high-level qualification. I have contract uh, videographers, contract writers. So everything, all the marketing in that business is is flexible in terms of, you know, being able to staff up or staff down or turn programs on or turn programs off. It's sort of the uh, the ultimate in uh, managing expenses 
in, on a variable way. And they like it. Um, it's worked really well for them. Uh, this year in March, they were named um, uh, uh, 2020 Manufacturer of the Year by wow. their the big industry association. And they're going. They've uh, they've won uh, Manufacturing Excellence Award from Twin Cities Business, one of the top local business publications. Well, thanks, but you know it's a team effort, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I helped them with diversification because that was their challenge three or four years ago. They had too much business with in one market with one customer, and you know that's great when you're riding it up, and it's not so great when you're riding it back down. And you know, for a lot of small and mid-sized businesses, Graham, diversification seems to be kind of their big challenge today. Um. We'll go into a little bit more after a break. We're going to have a break in about two or three minutes' time. But just before that, I hear a bit of an accent, and I think you mentioned something. I hear a bit of an accent. Um, I think you mentioned something with the Twin Cities. So where are you actually based, Mark? Well, you and I couldn't be based in two different metropolises. And, and to call Stockholm, Wisconsin, population 66, anything other than the second smallest village in the state of Wisconsin would be overstating it, right? So to, to New Yorkers, when you're flying cross country and you look down at the Mississippi River and you're looking at the west coast of Wisconsin, you might see a little dot with a couple houses. And um, that's where we live. It's a gorgeous part of the country. I'm an hour from the Twin Cities and I actually also work the Chicago market. So we have a place in Chicago when I want my big metro experience. That's where we go. Well, well, so you've got 66 there. During the break, I'm going to pop out and count how many people we've still got in New York because of not quite as many <laughs> as, there, as there were um, two, uh, two or three months ago. Um, just really, really briefly, um, one of the things that I, uh, I noticed is that when you work with different companies and different leaderships, it, it must bring in, I, I suppose what I'm asking is, how much does working with one company do you take into another company? Maybe the experience, not your experience, but what you experience working with them. How does that help? You? Oh, I think a lot. I mean, every business likes to think they're unique, right? I mean, even, even if they share an SIC code with, you know, uh, 50,000 other businesses, they'll say, but we're unique, right? And, um, and I think they have to think that way. Because if they thought they were another me too, then why would they continue to exist, right? I mean, they have to have those one or two or three distinctive competencies, which are really the foundation of their, uh, of their value proposition and, and their uniqueness, right? I, I like to call them one or two or three unfair advantages, right? Things that they can do that others haven't figured out yet. And, um, um, but you know, there, there are, I mean, I, I like to say, you know, ideas and best practices can come from anywhere. And, you know, the, uh, among the clients that I've worked with over the last three and a half years, you know, I, I love the variety. I mean, Chief Outsiders just uh, closed number 1,000 uh, uh, in terms of its clients over the last wow. 12 years. We've just got to 1,000 and we've done work in 70 different industries. One, you know, one of the opportunities is to share best practices from one industry to another. You know, uh, some industries are behind. I did some work for a regional health system and they, and they wanted me to work on it because I had financial services background and it was all about digital transformation. And they thought did, uh, financial services was 10 or 15 years ahead of healthcare in figuring out how to effectively do a digital transformation. So um, I think that brings a lot of advantage to uh, the, the businesses we work with. It, it, it is interesting. You mentioned that. This is the third conversation I've had in two days about USP uniqueness. And my argument is most companies actually don't have anything really unique. It's their approach that's unique or how, how they angle it. So um, with salespeople and sales programs, I've just changed something. I'm running one next week. And we're not going to look at the USP of the company. We're going to look at the USP of the person. Because mm -hmm. the, the people make the difference on how they approach it, how they talk, what, what they do. The product can almost be virtually the same. Um, well, that's true. And we say that in Chief Outsiders. We say our people are our playbooks, right? Absolutely. We bring individual expertise to the table. So with that in mind, after the break, we're going to get to dive in and get to know the person. We're going to kind of get to know where you started and how you got into all of this. You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. I'm speaking with Mark Corona here live in New York. 
Mark's uh, somewhere in Wisconsin with 60, 65 other people. And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. to the Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin, uh, live in New York. We are speaking with Mark Corona, who is a partner and CMO at uh, Chief Outsiders. Now, Mark, I'm just trying to imagine you at school or at college sitting there dreaming about being a fractional CMO. Is that, is that what happened? <laughs> oh, sure. It happened exactly that way. Even when I was like four years old in kindergarten, I thought, you know, there has to be something better than this, right? I mean, the nap rugs were okay, but the rest of it wasn't that interesting. <laughs> How did you start off with this journey? How did you do it? Well, you know, I've, uh, uh, it, you know, uh, it, you, I think it's great people have plans, but sometimes there are plans that happen just because you're, you've prepared yourself and you're kind of in the right place at the right time, right? So, you know, I always encourage uh People, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching of people in transition, and I like to give back that way. Um, and I always tell people, look, look, I, uh, you know, design what an ideal role for you would be, right? Before you actually go out and start networking and looking for your next job or whatever, what would an ideal role be for you, right? So, so let me start by kind of as a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin Madison. <clears throat> I worked my way through school in the um, data processing center, right? So it was great. You know, I'd go to class and then at night I'd go work in the data processing center where we did all the administrative processing for the university system. Um, I also bought a, uh, a used car and, um, you know, it's one of those used car sales stories, right? Um, and my, uh, my, my uh, roommate was studying for a CPA exam uh, while we were uh, uh, rooming together. So, you know, so I knew there were three things that I would never want to do. I was done with data processing because I was tired of calling people up at 11 p.m. and getting yelled at because their program didn't run, right? Which was my fault that their program didn't run. Well, you know, obviously. I had, yeah, obviously. And, uh, you know, I had a poor experience in sales and I thought my roommate, I mean, he's a great guy. I love him, but I thought, I couldn't think of anything more boring than being a CPA and doing accounting, right? So I knew three things that I definitely would not ever want to do. And three years later, I found myself selling accounting software. So 
it took it took the three things I was sure that I would never want to do and put them together in a combination that was actually uh, kind of launched my business career. I took a sales position in a startup software company. I was number six. Um, we grew at 100% six or seven years in a row, grew it up to 180 people, $18 million. And uh, I started out as a salesperson. And then I, I, um, I took over marketing and sales, which the salespeople loved because they were like, oh, finally somebody in marketing knows what it's like, what we're, our job is like. Um, and then I did business development and product management um, and uh, just started to accumulate a variety of experiences, Graham. And so that was a, that was a 10 year run, but you know, that, that company ruined me for the rest of my life. And let me tell you why. So I thought every company should grow a hundred percent annually. Wow. Right. Cause we did. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, when I went, took my first fortune 200 position uh, and people were happy with, you know, a couple percent a year. And it was like, really? You could be happy with a couple of percent growth, you know. I mean, what, what's wrong with like ten or twenty percent growth? I, you know, I knew you couldn't get to a hundred, but it, 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 it. What it did is it gave me a passion for growth, which I've never lost. I mean, that's really what I do most often for the small and mid-sized businesses I work with. Graham is, it's typically growth planning, helping them define their future opportunities you know, identifying them, profiling them, scoring them, prioritizing them, financial modeling them. Yep. And, uh, you know, an investor friend of mine says, you can't manage what you can't see clearly. And so a lot of what I do today is helping, helping these small and mid-sized businesses bring clarity into their potential futures and where their growth uh, would be. And, you know, it's growth that drives valuation. So it's a pretty important conversation for a lot of SMBs. Again, talking with, with businesses and with sales teams, etc., I'm always surprised by how many businesses and sales teams just make the target. They just make it. They get to it just in no more. It's a big push in the last month or two, and they get there. Yeah. And I've always wondered, well, I've not always, I've actually done it with a couple of businesses I had, just added an extra 5 or 10% on and see what would happen. And guess what? Most of the time, they just get to it. Right, so sometimes right. tar targets can be a real limit when we look at growth. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because one of the things I, I noticed, I think it was on your LinkedIn profile, that you speak about and working with different companies on some of them are on growth and growing the business mm -hmm. and others are about revitalizing them. You know, something right. else, something's maybe happened with the business. I'm, I'm guessing here is something's happened with a business and it just needs that lift. What, what's the difference in approach? You know, honestly, someone would say, well, you have to think about it very differently. And I don't think you do. Okay. Because the approach that I use uh, is uh, I, I've used with probably, I don't know, hundreds of organizations um, from the from the first, you know, when I built it inside of a Fortune 500 corporation back in the early 90s, right? They set up, they wanted, they needed an Act 2 and an Act 3. And they hired me to sort of build an internal business incubator and accelerator to provide them with options. And, um, and so I, I built a stage gate methodology, um, which is a very, um, uh, it's a strong process with a, a strong tool set. And, you know, in the end, you still need to know what are your distinctive competencies? What's your value proposition? Who are your target markets, your target buyers, right? I mean, all that information, whether you're looking to accelerate your growth because you had a great year and the owners of the business say, hey, you know, Graham, you knocked it out of the park. Fabulous. Now, you think you could double this business in three years, right? I mean, that's a different kind of growth challenge, right? Than somebody who's got declining revenue or is stagnated. Yeah. But honestly, my approach, I approach them the same way. Probably there's a, there's a different sense of urgency among those okay. that really require revitalizing, right? And you have to focus a little bit more on what I call horizon, horizon zero, which is what can we do now to improve the business now, right? As opposed to in a year or two or three. So there's a, there's a little bit more emphasis on the present, um, but, um, but largely the process is very similar. Um, um, so I know you had that moment in college where you always wanted to be in that fractional CMO and you moved towards it. <laughs> um, 
But in all, in all seriousness, when, when did you decide that you wanted to be an entrepreneur yourself? When did you decide that kind of, was there a moment where you said, I need to do this now? Or did it just kind of happen? Well, you know, that the, the first company I worked in, I was the sixth employee. And, it, you know, that was the one that took off like a rocket, the software company, right? Um, and, uh, and then I did a turnaround on a communication software company with a friend. Um, and, uh, but, you know, you, you're, when you work in small businesses and that's your only experience, you wonder, how good am I really, right? I don't really have any reference points or personal professional benchmarks. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go work in a fortune corporation if I'm really as good as, you know, I, I'd like to be, right? And, um, uh, and so I went, I, I, I was Deluxe, uh, Deluxe Checkpreneur's largest uh, small business customer. And so I approached them and about, um, you know, joining the business and they want, they, and what I did there was really intrapreneuring, not entrepreneuring, right? So it was building startups inside of a major corporation. I also did that at U.S. Bank. I was hired to do um, a startup inside of U.S. Bank. And uh, that was probably, that was probably the most successful business I've ever started, Graham. It, it ended up being um, a multi-billion dollar business after a few years. And it was an internet uh, 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 business to business payment network that I started there. And so this idea, uh, and I like intrapreneuring because um, as an executive, you don't have to worry about where the capital is going to come from. You know, once you go sell the vice chairman and he goes, okay, Mark, just send me the invoices. Like, great. Now I can go build a business. I can build a team. I can focus on it. I don't have to worry about, am I going to make payroll this Friday? Right. And so uh, I've argued this with a good friend for many, many years. He always thought entrepreneuring was the better route. I always thought entrepreneuring was the better route. Right. You use other people's money. That's, that's kind of well, that, 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 that's, so what, what do you see then is the biggest challenge to entrepreneurship? Is it not capital? Well, before you even get to capital, you have to have a good business plan. Right. I mean, nobody's going to give you money because they think you're a nice person. You know, I, uh, I'm been going sorry. Wrong. I know. I'm sorry. It's sorry to break the news. How you, you. How you tell me, <laughs> but I'm not even a nice person. So it doesn't uh, well, I think you are, but I don't know you that well. So, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, there, in, in college, we all learn the four P's of marketing, right. And yep. they still pop up every now and then, but you know, I, I, I like alliteration. And so I think as an entrepreneur, there's three P's that are really important. And, and I think actually any person or any organization looking for capital needs to demonstrate these three P's. And the, and the first P is past performance. What have you done before that gives you credibility that makes you uh, a subject matter expert in the business that you're talking about starting, right? The second P is the person, you know, uh, for a, a, lot, a lot of startups, uh, and, and even when you're a fairly established organization and you want to bring in private equity growth capital, they care about the leadership team and who's on there and how well you work together and, you know, the quality of your, uh, of your uh, engagement. And the third P is the plan itself, the believability. Have you, have you built a believable plan for the business? And if you don't get through those three things, then you're never going to get capital. I mean, it's just not going to, it's not going to just fall down randomly on you, just, you know, walking down the street. You really need to be prepared uh, in, in those ways. And I think a lot of organizations don't know how to build a good business plan. It's interesting. I, you know, I, I do dip in and, in and out of things like Shark Tank every now and again. It's called Dragon's Den in the UK. And the amount of people this and they're getting resistance and the sharks or the dragons are saying, I don't know if I can invest. You've not kind of proven this plan to me. And the person says, but I believe in it. And they've got no other evidence other than I believe in it. <laughs> I, I put my life and my work and my soul. And you're absolutely right. What, yeah. what gives us credibility? What, what, and you can see, you can almost see these three play, P's playing out in a, in, a, in a role like that, which again is a bit contrived, but you can mm -hmm. also see where they do invest is people have got some kind of performance there. There's some kind of credibility. The person's likable mm -hmm. and they've got a plan to go ahead. It might be not be the right plan, but they've got something. 
right. that, you, that you can work with. Um, after the break, we're going to kind of look a little bit more at the challenges, especially around people, Mark. I'm, I'm really going to be curious about uh, what challenges we've got with people is kind of look back into what we spoke about at the very beginning, just in this age of uncertainty and how we can maybe help people with that. You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership with uh, me, Graham Dobbins, speaking with Mark Corona from Chief Outsiders, and uh, we'll be right back after these. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're talking the mind behind leadership with Mark Corona. Mark, so one of the things you said at the very beginning was, you know, people are really important. You see people are, as being kind of almost the lifeblood of every business. I hear I hear lots of people saying that, mm-hmm. but then I also don't always see people treating employees, staff, and everything in the right way to actually prove that. What, what have you seen that worked really well? How, how do we engage? Um, staff to make sure that they're running with us yeah well you know my my master's degree graham was in counseling psychology right <laughs> and i thought when i first took my first business uh job in sales i thought well okay so you know the, the company that hired me thought that was actually going to be a benefit but i never realized until later on what a benefit counseling psychology was yeah. to being a good leader because you know it, it, it taught me to appreciate individuals, uh, their differences, their individual motivations that, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we're all made the same, but we, are, but we have different gifts, right, and different talents. And, um, uh, and, and I think just having an appreciation for individuals is really important. You know, um, I, I, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, of course, Vince Lombardi was everybody's hero, right, unless you happen to be living in Wisconsin and you, you know, you're a Chicago bears fan or something, but, um, but you know, one thing people say about his leadership style is that he understood individual differences and individual motivations. And, um, and he could speak to people like you were the only person in the room, right. But he really gave them individual attention. And so, um, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, being a good leader is, is, really being able to pay attention to people on an individual basis. And yet you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to get them to collaborate to become a high performing team. Right. And, and it's having that individual appreciation, but having, 
goals and visions and uh, you know rallying points that everybody can sort of grab. I mean, I think that's really important today in this sort of health crisis, right? Um, you know, the, the companies who I think are doing well have managed to rally their employees around uh, you know whatever whatever is kind of key for them to to um, survive and then ultimately to thrive. It, it's interesting because I, I think the amount of people. Uh, you and I have both travelled a lot, so we, we kind of work maybe work from home or from different sites, and we're used to this. The many people that said to me at the beginning, working from home, this is going to be fantastic, and <laughs> and, and it wasn't necessarily everything they thought it was going to be. Right. So this is this is again, we're coming back to what we said at the beginning: the the, the teams that have left are not the teams that are coming back. So are you seeing anything that the companies that you're working with are doing really well at the moment to to keep people engaged and, and, and check in? Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's about, it's probably, you know, I've just written this down, it's probably about the individual differences more now than ever. Because well, yeah. we're all different in different environments. Right. You know, I, I think effective executives are those that are very transparent. And, uh, and treat everybody in the workforce as an adult, right? I mean, I, I work for uh, a, a gentleman and uh, a CEO of, of our part of a large company, and, and our whole division was declared non-strategic, right? Which meant that over time, they were going to sell the pieces off and focus on a different part of the business, right? And, you know, and uh, I told them later on after, I mean, I left that business, but um, he stayed a little longer. And then afterwards, I went back. I said, Larry, I said, you know what? But I really appreciated how you kept everybody engaged and motivated. And he goes, well, I said, you know, I said, I, I really thought you did, a, you did a masterful job of that. He goes, well, Mark, he goes, I, I was in it like you guys, right? I mean, I didn't try to pretend that this is, you know, oh, you're going to, you, you know, this is going to impact you. It's not going to impact me. And so, you know, uh, being transparent, I think, was really important and over-communicating. One of the things I've found is that, you know, when you've got a business challenge, you know, even going back to the financial crisis of 08 and 09, right? Well, I felt as an executive, I, 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 there was nothing I wasn't willing to talk about and, uh, and really stepped up the amount of communications and town hall meetings and, you know, things that uh, would w- so keep everybody, like, feeling like they knew what was going on. I think that's really, really important. Do you, um, did you ever think that we would get to the stage where we would we, we'd gladly take 2008 and 2009 again to get rid of this? <laughs> we, yeah. I, never we, I never thought we'd be in that stage. It's interesting you say that. One of the, one of the largest leadership projects I worked on uh, a number of years ago was in the UK, and it was a the largest nuclear processing plant in the UK, in Europe, mm-hmm. actually, at the time. And I had a, um, a, a leadership program to run with uh, quite a number number of their leaders in middle management. And the twist on it was the nuclear processing plant was being decommissioned. Mm-hmm. And it was out in the middle of nowhere with nothing right. else around it. They may even have had 65 or 66 people in the town. So, you know, we've got, we've actually got a, a, a processing plant that employed some like 12,000, 15,000 people, and they were running it down. How do you keep employees engaged? And they actually did a really good job of it, of, you know, overcoming worry and stress. One of the things is, is deal with the inevitable. So right. we, we kind of got to that point of, look, this is going to sure. happen, whether we go fighting or not. Why don't we try to make the next two or three years as good as possible? rather than fighting it. And it, it was a really interesting project, but it helped me mm-hmm. see exactly what you're saying. Again, back to individual differences, no matter who I've got in a room, and they can all be from the same company, they've all got a different experience. So it no, can't no. be cookie It can't be cookie cutter. It can't be what we would say in the UK, chalk and talk, just telling people what to do. We need right. to understand them. We've got to. Yeah. You know, there was, there, I had one thing early, uh, early in life that sort of dramatized how different people are to me, I was probably a senior in high school, or maybe I was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Oscar Meyer, the big meat packer, was the largest employer in town, right? And I remember in the local paper, they covered um, a woman's retirement. She'd worked there for 37 years. She was retiring, and she ran the same wiener stuffing machine for 37 years. And I thought, 
oh my God, how could anybody, I, I mean, I couldn't do it for 37 minutes, let alone 37 years, right? I mean, the, and so they asked her, the question that had to be on everybody's mind was, didn't you ever get bored? And she said, no, I always thought my job was interesting. It was always challenging. Every day was different. And, um, you know, I, I just thought, wow, there are really different kinds of people out there. And thank goodness that there are, right? Because, you know, you can't, you can't sort of build a, a workforce of everybody who sort of, you know, w wants to run off and do all different things, right? You need some people who like to be, to do the same thing every day and do it well and do it with expertise and are interested in it. And I think more than anything, Graham, that really dramatized how different people can be. And I realize it's like, boy, that's not me, but I'm sure glad that there are people like that out there, right? Um, I, I, you know what, you, you, you absolutely, you need the people who will go and do specific jobs and you can just trust them to do it. You know that the quality is going to be there. And sometimes right. that pride and quality is probably good enough. You know, it, yeah. it, it would be a difficult job. It would be a difficult world, Mark, if everybody was like us. Well, it would be a very difficult world. <laughs> yeah. And, well, it would be for sure. But, you know, I think, I think what people appreciate is when you genuinely care about them, right? I mean, I've, I've terminated a lot of people through the years, some just because, you know, we had to cut back, some because of performance issues and things like that. But, you know, once you get through the process before they walk out your office, I say, wait a minute, before you leave, let me ask you a question. What can I do to help you? And they're like, what? What do you mean? I go, well, you know, the company is going to be just fine, right? Let's, you know, you understand why we had to do this, right? But let, I, I want to talk about what I can do to help you, right? What can I do for you, right? Can I give you a reference? Can I help? Can I edit your, your resume? Can I help you develop a one-page networking profile? Are there people I know that I could introduce you to? And they're like, you do that for me? It's like, well, why wouldn't I? I just want you to be successful as a person, right? It, you know, just because this particular situation didn't work out doesn't mean that there isn't a better situation for you out there somewhere. It, it's interesting. We had, a, we had a guest on about three or four weeks ago, Jeff Kabat, who's the COO of um, Poppin, who are uh, an office furniture manufacturer in New York. They're working all over. And um, one of the things I, I know a lot of the staff at Poppin, and I noticed um, a few weeks ago, LinkedIn posts, long LinkedIn posts saying how great Poppin were, what a fantastic experience it was working there. And then the final part was, I'll be sad to leave. And you mm -hmm. would not, quite genuinely, they, they, they went through a number of furloughs and layoffs because of the current situation that happened quickly uh, right. and they did it right. But because they would be looking after their people, you genuinely, you would not know if someone was still employed or if they'd been laid off until the very last sentence. This wasn't just one person. There was quite a number on LinkedIn yeah. um, saying how proud they were to work for the company, how well they'd been treated. They were disappointed that, you know, it come to the end of the line, mm -hmm. but they understood it. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a powerful message for a company's culture. Yeah. Well, and, you know, um, uh, I left U.S. Bank when the, when the bank was bought by a, uh, an equal-sized bank, right? Um, and there, so there were two of all of us, right? Two uh, senior VPs of e-business and whatever. And so, you know, the, the, the incoming company um, basically took a lot of this, the executive seats. But you know what U.S. Bank did, which I thought was brilliant, is they started a re-entry program. Um, you know, it was like not immediately after the integration of the two banks, but, you know, three, four or five years later, they actually started a program where if you wanted to go back and work there, they would make it really easy for you to do that. Right now, you know, how smart is that? Right. You have all these people and yeah, okay. They left for some reason. Maybe they, their job was eliminated. It didn't mean that they didn't like working there or they wouldn't yeah. like to work there again. Right. And it's, so I, I just thought that was a, a great talent play. One of the, one of the smarter things I've ever seen any organization do. Okay. After the break, we're going to kind of talk about a number of things, what your what your traits for uh, leaders are, uh, and I'm going to have to think during the commercial break. Just um, if you had a, a different skill, Mark, what would it be? What would it be if you could add this to your portfolio right now, a skill that could double your business? What kind of thing could you do? I, I know what mine is. Um, 
and also just what your views are going to be on how we are treating employees now, because I think I'm beginning to see a difference on how employers are beginning to treat. So this is uh, Graham Dobbin. You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership. We're speaking with Mark Corona from Chief Outsiders. This is live from New York, and we will be right back after these. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Back to the Mind Behind Leadership, where we're with Mark Corona this evening. Mark, did I catch you dancing to the theme tune there? Oh, you know, that you said the music's going to be good, and I'll, I'll take you up on it. Although I like Soulful Strut a couple of breaks ago a little better, probably. Yeah, it's a <laughs> movement. Um, I, I, as I said before the break, I, I think I'm beginning to spot that people are being a little bit more considerate about their teams. Um, but there is genuinely a potential for, for, for false complacency now because I know that there are a lot of, um, a lot of people are, are, are performing very well, working from home, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But when you scratch the surface, what they're actually doing to perform well, how many hours they're working with and not switching off and everything. Do you think that the employers are beginning to see what, what people are doing to get there? be more considerate of it well you know it's it's interesting because people who like for me you know uh to take a drive up to to visit uh a business up in a, in minneapolis and st paul is about an hour an hour and a half one way right um and so if i go up and back it's a three-hour round trip and i'll and, and pre-covid i was doing that two three four days a week right depending on on um kind of what's going on up there and who needed what um but Cheap Outsiders is a virtual business. So if I wasn't on site with a, with a client, I was working from home. And, um, and, and so what, what I've noticed from people who hadn't worked at home is that uh, some parts of it they like and some parts of it they don't like at all. And the part they don't like is the fact that they're finding themselves working much more than they did previously, right? Yeah. Um, and, and they've traded drive time for extended hours on Zoom, right? And you know, initially that might might have seemed attractive, but um, but I think there's definitely Zoom exhaustion. And and you know, everybody thought this whole virus thing was going to be a two week deal or a two month deal, and now we're looking at a Zoom into our future, right? Uh, uh, and uh, I, I, so I think I think the there's a workload uh, work balance shift that's different than. Yeah, now than it was before, right? Um, yeah, no, it's. I, I remember when this first started, we were all on happy hours and doing this, and everybody's getting together. It's a bit fun. <laughs> it was, and that's all stopped. 
That's yeah. awesome. You know, and it, it is as quick as we can switch off. And the, the interesting thing is, an, an email is now when I say I'm going to catch up with someone, I, I, you know, I say it, do you want to Zoom or do you want to do it the old-fashioned way and let's just talk? Right. And, yeah. and genuinely, the amount of people that, that um, want to just talk. Now, I'm going to assume it's because they don't want they, they want to talk old-fashioned on the phone. And it's not that they want to avoid seeing my face. I'm going to assume that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume it's a positive. But people just want to have <laughs> that chat. Um, well, no, I, I, you know, I'm that way. You know, I'll, I'll offer people like, do you want to just, do you want me to just call you or do you want to do a Zoom? Because I'm just as happy now just doing a call, right? Yeah. You know, sitting in a comfortable chair away from the laptop and focusing on the person in the call. A lot it's, of people, uh, I think, are like getting uh, that way. It's one of the one of the biggest learnings I had to take when I moved to New York about just under three years ago was that people in New York tend not to phone each other. They text each other to say, is it okay, can I phone so oh, coming yeah. from the UK, we we would phone each other without any problem. And it was Jane, I was getting so many people who were tentatively answering the phone and then thinking I had bad news or something. So I had to stop right. doing it. I had to warn <laughs> people I was going to call them. Yeah. Um, mentioned before the break, if there was something that you could do, if there was a skill, something else you could do in your portfolio or something that you've got already that you could do even better that would double your business, what would it be, Mark? You know, I, well, if, if we want to talk about sort of what are the characteristics of a great leader and which is the one that would impact a business most significantly, you know, I think there are three or four that I put on my list, Graham, and I, and I, and I appreciate these, um, these attributes or traits um, because, you know, you could look at a resume and you don't get any idea who the person really is, right? You can't, this stuff does not come through a resume, um, but I, I, um, I believe, you know, uh, a, a strategic thinker is important in a leader, right? The ability to think in future-oriented terms, anticipate, consider external forces, right? And, and you know, that means absorbing a lot of information, right? And analyzing it, trying to figure out what's really important. So I think that's the first one. I think collaborative is important, right? No, uh, when I worked at US Bank, I worked for a vice chairman, a brilliant man who did not allow you to use the personal pronoun, I, me, or mine in his presence. Because um, he, he believed everything was a team success or a team failure, right? Yep. And the language that really drove him crazy, if somebody said, in my world, it's like, whoa, that was almost kind of a career limiting move, right? To say in front of this gentleman, right? But he was trying to make a point, right? Yep. How important teams are, right? Um, I don't think anybody gets anything done really on their own. It's, it's, and so being collaborative is really important. Um, and uh, I think your ability to handle ambiguity is important. You know, I mean, every, every business or most businesses probably had a fairly defined plan for 2020, right? But now what do you do? You know, this is not the same year you thought it was going to be. 21 is not going to be the same year you thought it was going to be. So are you flexible and fast on your feet to be able to adapt? You know, I, I, the word pivot sort of is coming up all the time now, right? But the idea is that it's really about flexibility to sort of rethink um, where your opportunities really are. And, and I think ambiguity right now is probably the thing the single, you know, trait uh, or attribute that I think is really important because, um, you know, I, I, nobody, nobody can tell you what next month is going to look like. Are we on the second wave of the virus? Is Wisconsin going to close? Is Minnesota going to open? What industries are going to do well? Which ones are not going to do well? You just can't. And so I think um, when you put those together, it's a pretty powerful combination, Graham. But I think honestly, of those three. Being able to handle ambiguity, right? Interpret unclear situations, deal competently with paradoxes, cope with change. I think that's probably the thing that, you know, among all the others, that's probably the most important. At least it would be important to me. It, it, uh, it's really interesting you chose those, Mark. Um, I mean, I'm working with one of you know, a household name, a, a car manufacturer, and we're looking at uh, agility. We were, we've been working on this for over a year. And VUCA is is one of the is is one of the big um, terms now, the acronyms, uh, which is volatility, uncertainty, change, and, and, and ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that came out of, of the US Army having to deal with the end of the Cold War, which mm-hmm. was quite, I find this, this really quite interesting. It wasn't during the Cold War. It was like, okay, what, what does this mean now? We've had, this, yeah. we've, had the, we've had this bad news for such a long time that we knew what we could deal with. Now we've got right. no idea. And we seem to be in, it, it's probably never been more important or more relevant in business than it is now. Because we kind of don't know what we're going to be. I, I, I use the phrase because it's not big in the UK, and I've only just recently um, realised it. It's skate to where the puck, where the puck is going, not where it is. No, that's we the famous Wayne Gretzky quote. Absolutely. Right? But why? When somebody said, "Why were you so successful?" You know, and that was his answer, right? And um, but you know, to understand the puck related to your business and your business's opportunities today is quite challenging, right? It's not, you know, following the single rubber, the little rubber thing skirting across the ice. And, and at, the, at the moment, my guess is we actually don't know where the puck's going, but we know the vicinity. We could, we could know. And if we've got enough flexibility within ourselves, then we can lead that team. And that's, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to expect flexibility in a team, creativity and, and being able to change, then we've got to show ourselves. Good traits, Mark, there. Absolute um, bang on. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Believe it or not, our hour has come to an end already. Um, well, we can keep going. Maybe we'll have to pick this thread up on my show, and you, you can be a guest on my show, and we'll just we keep going, Graham. I would love to be. I would love to be. <laughs> uh, and just remember, I've treated you really kindly tonight. Mark, you did, thank you, you so much. Job. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this has uh, been the Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. We've been speaking to Mark Corona from Chief Outsiders. Join us next week again at 7 o'clock here on talkradio.nyc. Have a great evening. Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history. 
its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 